Hi, Book Club members. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 23, and our book is Fists of the Imperium by Andy Clark. The book is about a group of Imperial Fists led by a, primi- a Primaris librarian who land on a planet who is struggling with a bad case of the Gene Stealers. We posted several questions on our website, wh 4 40kbookclub.com via Twitter, the YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Fox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and come back to this episode as we're going to be discussing the book from start to finish to great detail. Slight warning tonight, uh, the Zoom gods appear to be against us, and so you might have to bear with our technical issues here. We might have a little bit of freezing and delays, so we actually already did. So, so they already awesome. know. They already know what, what we're going to talk about. So, yeah. So, sorry about that, I, folks. We have no idea. Yeah, I apparently forgot to light the incense and say the prayers to the machine god. I accept full responsibility. So, <laughs> with that, let's dive into Fist of the Imperium. First question: <laughs> Did you like it? This is already a loaded question because I did. I enjoyed it. And I did not. No. <laughs> I really did not like this book, which was really hard for me because I really like Andy Clark as an author, and I'm really going to use the word really like five more times. Um, really like him as an author. Was totally jazzed for this book, and oh man. So, <laughs> moving on. Um, so. <laughs> What part stood out to you about the book? Like, why, why did it grab you so much? One thing, there's a couple things that really grabbed me was one, I thought it was a really good um, display of the worthlessness of human life. Uh, and you see it like early on when um, the first Imperial Fists are there and they're listening to a conclave meeting and they're mm-hmm. arguing mm-hmm. with the Magos, uh, the Mechanicum, about you didn't warn us about this. Your people are dying because you're clearing stuff out. And he's just like, well, you know, I'm, is it really that big of a deal? It's just a few people. And they're like, but Omelets they're, and eggs. Right. And they're like, but these are real. Cause some of the nobles are like, these are real people here. And others are just like, you guys should just follow the schedule. And the Imperial fists are in the background, rolling their eyes going, and these people act like they're making some great sacrifice for the Imperium. It's just such a, <laughs> You know, we always kind of knew it, and you always see these space marines, especially the Primaris mm-hmm. marines, who um, just don't care about humans. They just, they're they're a um, burden to them at all times, even though the Imperium can't live without them. Um, right. So it was really interesting in that, because at the same time, when the Gene Stealers came in with their cult of the father and the star children, that kind of fed into that. These are your oppressors. We want you to be free. I mean, that's honestly, that's how, you know, a lot of uh, communism also take, takes place because they come in. It's like, you know, there's all these oppressors, but we want to help you because we are all about the people. And later, do you know that everything's right. going to go to another way and you're all going to get killed eventually anyway? Not in the same manner that the gene stealers 
do it, but it's not surprising how they were able to form this cult. Because all they have to do is tell some of the other miners, like, hey, we don't have to serve the Imperium. They don't care about us. The Father loves us. Right. And I definitely want to dive into that more. Um, but one of the things I will say that really stood out to me about the book that I liked is in the very end with uh, Phoenicia Jai, mm. where when after they've killed the father and she gets that psychic resonance from him being ripped out of her head and she looks on him and she's like, oh, God, like so disgusting. It, I mean, it's, you know, it's basically actually I know I want to preface. I know what jeans with the tyranids look like. But forever and a day, I always picture them looking like the bug at the end of Men in Black. So she's looking at this thing, right? Okay, that's so fair. Yeah, so she's looking at this thing and she's so disgusted. And she talks about how when she first saw him, he had this beatific halo around his head. And how beautiful he was because the psychic mind control. Um, but I really liked that, this like, oh. Oh my god it's a bug like that's so disgusting like i that really stood out to me as something that was really well done right just and how horrified especially when she realized she's like wait so he's this ugly and wait but why would i turn against the imperium in the first place this doesn't make any sense and then the horror you know just kind of all sinks in about what happened so you know it's, it's one of those it's kind of sad it's like it sucks um, should I mean, who's to say whether you willingly went a part of it or not, or if it was all psychic manipulation, you know, like the Tao? Mm -hmm. um, who's to say, right? Right. And it gets hard because the Imperium refuses to look at it any different. Right. Even though they know it's psychic manipulation, or it's in the case of the Tao, it's horm you know pheromonal manipulation. Um, it doesn't matter. You've been tainted, so. You're going to die sooner or later anyway. Right. One of, so one of the things kind of, um, so one of the things that I also really liked in this book was that I really did not like uh, Ladoran's character, especially through that first like half of the book where he's just like, I have failed the city and throwing himself around the room and I'm such a failure. And there's, yeah. a, page, there's, a, there's a part on 197 where he talks with chap with um, Chaplain Storn, and Storn says, "I've been a chaplain for the Imperial Fists for more than a century, and a more stubborn, uncommunicative, and self-flagellating brotherhood I cannot imagine." And that actually made me laugh pretty good because he just gives him this dressing down, like you're wallowing in self self doubt. This is kind of within our idiom, to be fair. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> So that actually made me laugh because I was so irritated with it. But the fact that they called it out, like, dude, take a step back. I did like that a lot. I think it's also it's doubled with the fact that he's a Primaris Marine. And so therefore mm -hmm. some of the a lot of the you have like this interesting dichotomy in terms of personalities with the Primaris. Either they really want to prove themselves that they belong or they're like, I'm better than you. Get the fuck out of my way. And it's Pretty like, much. not much. There's some in between, but but not much. And I think um, uh, Lidoran falls in that, that he just wants to prove himself so badly, especially when he right. assumed command and Champion Haster is like, excuse you, <laughs> who do you think you are, newbie? You know, so I think right. a lot of that just, he just feels that so much. 
Mm-hmm. So it's just an extra layer. I It was old. Yes. Um, there was a couple times like when he would just be like, oh, my God, did I do this again? I'm such a failure. I'm like, get a grip. <laughs> you are doing the best right. you can. You are a librarian. And if things are tricking you, then they're tricking everybody else around here. So just right. take a deal. And I, I know that Storm even says that to him later. He's like, look, if a librarian couldn't figure this out, none of us would have. And he has to remind him, he's like, Captain Torgan didn't know it was this bad. Right. Well, that's when he's talking with the chaplain, or the the chaplain, the um, the priest, mm. the bishop, when he's talking with him and he's like, oh, yeah, you need to go to this mine. And he enforces his will upon him. And the guy's like, I'm telling the truth. My first thought is I was like, it's the grubs in his brain, obviously, dumbass. But then I had to remember player in D and D terms, player knowledge, not character knowledge. Right. So later when they revealed it, I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's not common knowledge." <laughs> but right, because it was uh, funny when the like, death, oh, it's going to be the grubs. And the Death Watch showed up, and they're like, "Ha ha! We have this device that you don't." <laughs> yep, we got a grub detector. <laughs> yep, get the grubs, which. I always picture them looking like that thing in Wrath of Khan. That's actually what I thought of, too. So, like, honestly, those um, traumatized me as a child. Uh, So that's one of my all-time favorite movies. And I still can't watch that scene, really. I always watch like this because it freaks me out so badly. Uh, Yeah. So that's always what I picture with the grub things. Um, What other parts stood out to you? Uh, well, the part that you hated, um, (laughs) that stood out. And, and the thing is, so give everybody some backstory here. So Jen texts me and it's like page 275. I hate this book. And I was like, okay. So anyway, I get to 275 and I'm reading it. I'm like, all right, where is it? And I get to 80 and then 85 and then 90. I was like, where is it? What did I miss? And so I text her. I was like, I don't see what you're mad about. And then she tells me. I'm like, oh. So it didn't, obviously, <laughs> it didn't. So it's the only reason why it even kind of triggered something in me. Well, I think I had texted you. And I think my exact words were, it's Fist of the Imperium starring Alan Alda. Because, Yeah. That fight scene dearly broke me. Like, I got to the end of that scene, had to put the book down and walk around the house a couple times. And we're going to dive into why I didn't like Actually, you know what? Let's jump to that. Because really I am talk fascinated. I'm really curious why you didn't like that scene. So, Lenoran, to give you an idea, it's it becomes uh, the Death Watch, since we're jumping ahead here a bit, the Death Watch drops down onto the planet. They're led by a guy called Red Fang, who is obviously a space wolf, and he's a badass. Um, and he and Lenoran kind of have different philosophies on this. Lenoran is still kind of like, we've got to save these people, we have to help these people. And Red Fang is it's essentially his job done. And so they have a confrontation. They basically go fisticuffs about this because they have a difference in philosophy. So how did you react to the scene? Um, at first I was like, okay, children, like we need to calm this down. Right. Um, and then, but then um, Lutheran, uh 
he noticed that too. He was like, okay, wait, <laughs> this is stupid. Look, look at the, look at the stiffs. Like, they're freaking out watching this. He's like, okay, enough. But by then Red Fang, he, his, sorry, I know you love the space wolves, but their blood, his blood is too high and he can't oh, yeah. stop himself. <laughs> and he just keeps going and going. And it's at that point that Lederan's like, all right, you know what? If I, if I fight like how I should fight, I could kill him. So I'm just not going to fight to prove a point that I'm not going to fight so everyone can see how far he's willing to go. So he doesn't do anything. And it's at that point, and Red Fang's first confused why he's not blocking, why he's not defending himself. But then he just gets madder and madder and madder. And it finally takes the white scar stepping in and being like, enough, have you lost your mind? And, uh, of course, when uh, Lederan, like, holds him in place with his psychic mind, I was like, oh, that's the fastest way to piss off a wolf. Let's see what happens now. And right. he was furious. Mm -hmm. And basically, he's like, look at yourself. Look at what's happening. Is this really how far you, you want to go? And he's like, well, yes, this is how far, because this is how far it needs to be. And it wasn't until the white scar stepped in that he realized, oh, my gosh, like, I am saying all this in front of all these people who could maybe decide now that they're not going to help us anymore because if we're just going to kill them all, you know, that, that that's going to be it. So, um, so it didn't bother me. Um, to me, I think it was a little childish at first, but at the same time, it's kind of what I, have ex I expect out of Space Wolves. And I didn't, I'm not saying I hated this character. I did not. I, Red Fang had a lot of his good points. But let's make, make no mistake. He's a badass. He's an arrogant badass. And he has impulsive issues. Right. I'd almost say he's I like, think he's the opposite of Litteran. Like, quite so. Very much so. In every way, shape, and form. And I felt as though that was actually, he provided a very good foil to Litteran because he was, they were, they had the opposite philosophy. They were approaching this battle the opposite ways. So one's a psyker, one's not. <laughs> um, they're the odd couple. Uh, you know, he was very brash and impulsive. And he was also very, very cocky. He has all this knowledge. Ask him, he'll tell you. Um, and whereas Lidoran still is kind of like unsure of himself and he obviously doesn't, he is coming at it from a, a point of not having as much information as the Death Watch does, obviously. Um, I just got, I hated the whole scene. It didn't really accomplish anything, Red Fang down a smidge, but, and we're going to talk more about this in a sec, but I did not, I was on Red Fang's side in this where, and again, we'll talk about this in a second here, but this is not like one of those things where you're like, oh, there's a few orcs here. Let's just kill them or something like that. This is, they're calling the Tyranid fleet to this system. That's a major problem. And just the whole, we're no better than them. If he said the phrase, oh, that makes us no better than them. Like one more time, I. That's why I said it was like a, it was like listening to an Alan Alda movie or one of the epi mash episodes of Alan Alda. Just war is bad, okay? 
I did not like it. It rubbed me so the wrong way. And the fight kept going. It just kept going. Like, I was like, oh, okay. And the fact that the white scar, it took the white scar so long to step in and the other Imperial fist so long to step in. Because as you said, they had an audience. They mm. were scaring the locals. Like, I would have expected somebody before that to have stepped in and been like, what? Let's take this elsewhere or we don't. And especially in this, we don't have time for this. I don't care what you have to do. Get rid of these people. Take it offline. I have this feeling that the White Scar has seen this happen more than <laughs> Probably. once. And so Probably. he's just like, let's just let it get him out of it. Let's just let him get it out of the system. But even he was surprised Again. At, how, right, at how far it went. So I don't think he was expecting you know, Lidoran mm. to stop fighting. Right. Um, as for what did it accomplish? Honestly, I think it accomplished a lot. Um, really? It, yeah. Yeah. Because Red Fang was not, he was like, okay, we'll do it your way. We're not going to do the exterminatus. We're going to find this thing. We're, we're, we're going to take care of it. And also, you know, it kind of reminded me of a little bit of um, Garrus's speech in Mass Effect. He talks about, you know, letting out steam in the fights. He gets into the, you know, mm -hmm. the reach and the flexibility. It's almost kind of that thing. They have this issue between them. And with the Space Wolf, there's really only one way to get over it. And that's to, you know, in a way, assert your dominance and become the alpha. Um, so this didn't surprise me at all. I mean, it's a Space Wolf. I did right. like how they come. He commented often that he's much smarter than he, you know, appears to be. You know, mm -hmm. he, he's yes, he's a spheral monster, but he's a feral monster with a really good brain. Um. So I thought it was just, and also the, this, both of these factions had been, you know, just headbutting this entire time. Yeah. And this is a way to finally be like, okay, look, let's just try it this way. And then if it, that doesn't work, then we'll do it your way. And I think, you know, even the white scar, he was just like, you know, how many more worlds are we going to destroy? And, it, and he's got a point. How many more worlds are you going to, to, to stop the Tyranids? Because eventually you keep destroying all these worlds, they're going to find their way to Terra eventually anyway, just from, um, you know, um, process of elimination. <laughs> well, I mean, essentially, but so that's one of the big philosophies of this book. Ultimately, this book boils down to exterminatus or fight. And so I think the thing that I struggle with is that have you ever seen when a house catches on fire when the fire department comes and puts it out? Have I it watched it personally? No. So, but I know our neighbor's just, house caught fire. Well, but I've had friends whose houses caught, caught on fire, and most there was a. I mean, there it was their upstairs that caught on fire, like it was struck by lightning. So the upstairs was mm -hmm. was destroyed. I mean, like burnt to a crisp, gone. But all the damage downstairs was all the water damage. Yes. So when the fire department comes, so it destroys the house pretty much, mm -hmm. right? Because, and the reason that they do that is to prevent this fire from spreading, right? Right. So to me, when it comes to the Tyranids, the Tyranids are a fire. And the problem with the Tyranids is that the more they eat, the stronger they get, the more knowledge they possess, the more they evolve, right? 
this is a very real problem for them and they just keep getting strength and momentum and momentum the more worlds they're able to devour right so to me when he was just like oh it makes us know better i'm like that's like the fire department showing up and being like well we're not going to put the fire out because then we're no better than the fire destroying the house let it burn we'll just take a chance that it's going to burn these five houses in this row because i mean we can't destroy all the houses i i can see that I can, that's a really, actually a really good analogy. I, I can really see that. But at the same time, I can kind of understand. And this probably has a lot to do with Lee Doran's um, being a Primaris. Um, being, uh, he's one of the other Primaris who just wants to save everybody. Yes. And so that, so that blinds them. But I kind of liked having that kind of going up against someone who, who is grizzled and maybe a little bitter he knows how things work and his whole answer to everything is just destroy it all. And whereas this Primaris is like, but there's got to be a third option here. And so I kind of like some of that thinking and that it's not mm -hmm. just the same old, oh, sorry, exterminatus. It's been real. Right. Um, and it did stop the Tyranids from coming mm -hmm. there because the, the, the beacon went out. I guess the big problem with the Gene Stealers is finding that patriarch yeah yes well in that i mean they spend what three quarters of the book looking for it because they hide and we saw that in belisarius call too remember that patriarch was i mean he was he was down there right that guy was hiding they had to get their, their own um, three-armed gunmen to, yes to lead them i don't know why so i i like the tyranids I can't stand the gene stealers. I file them under with a towel. I got no time or day for a day for this. Um, the three armed gunman, though, I really like when the three armed gunman shows up because I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. It's. I think it's because the one thing about the gene stealers that I look at and they're like with that third arm, I'm always like, to be fair, that would be really helpful. <laughs> Not saying I'd become a gunman, but I feel like I could do a lot more stuff if I had a third arm. Just saying. You know, my mom always said that uh, when a mom has a baby, she should grow a second pair of arms to help her with the baby till it's a year old. And then they just kind of wither and fall off and you don't need them anymore. She's like, and, I'm, and after I was like, okay, that's just weird, mom. All right. Then I had a baby. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I see the genius in that. A second set of arms would be really helpful right now. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. Um, I don't know why, though. The three-armed gunmen, that's the one thing with the gene sealers that I'm like, all right, this is fine. I'll allow it. And I really liked, I liked one of the things that I really did appreciate about this book is that they didn't overuse him. So a lot mm. of times in books, they bring out, and Robert Jordan was notorious for this, where they bring out this really cool, badass character or weapon, and then they're like, but we can't use it because reasons. Or they use it like so much to the point where you're like, how badass is this thing if it's not just killing everything in sight? Right. right? So I really liked, I liked his restraint with his three-armed gunman. No, it's like he actually used him like for real missions and what he was supposed to be doing. Yes. He was definitely, you could tell that Phoenicia Jive was this, um, she was more of like the PR end of recruiting people and making mm -hmm. everybody happy and 
submitting the will onto people. She was the mouthpiece. He was actually getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. Not saying that she wasn't, but he was off like moving other pieces around and making sure that all the pieces fall into place. Mm -hmm. Uh, I liked that. Thought that was really nice. But I can't say three-armed gunman without thinking about the one-armed man. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, it does. Yeah, no. See, now he took the arm. See, now I'm wanting like one of the Warhammer crime novels to be about the three-armed gunman. Because that would be awesome. That would actually be kind of awesome because it would also totally work and be within the Inquisition's idiom. They would be like... I'm innocent and I didn't do it. And you could have Tommy Lee Jones with an inquisitorial badge saying, I don't care. Because it's and then true. Harrison Ford. They don't. And then Harrison <laughs> Ford jumps into a waterfall. <laughs> telling you guys. Yeah, it could totally happen. work. Chris I, Rate, take notes. Right? I mean, because well, see what you definitely would you have the Xenos in this or the Ordo Hereticus? Or would you get the Hereticus and then bring in the Xenos because the three armed gunman is clearly uh, Xenos? Well, obviously it would have to be the Ordo Xenos because your wife was killed by the three armed gunman. Yeah, but when the Hereticus so come in there because they're like, uh what you're seeing is heresy. There's no there is no three armed gunman. No, I picture the, the Order of Xenos would show up and be like, there's no three-armed gunmen. <laughs> there's not. Except for when there is, and now we're going to have to kill you because you saw him. And it would just be really awkward. Actually, it would probably work better if it was an Order of Xenos Inquisitor. Just saying. So that was like the other thing with this book. I'm like, so... Can't they let these people live <laughs> knowing now about the gene stealers? I, mean, I, so I get, I get confused of what the Inquisition allows and doesn't allow people to know. So let's tackle that, shall we? A few things here. The patriarch is so hard to find. I can't say it without wanting to say smash the patriarchy. There was your variable line. Ah, dang it. That would have been great. (laughs) So anyways, um, they, once you find that, but there's, how do you know, like, how do you know for realsies that you got everyone, right? And those grubs could still be lurking around. I mean, there's all kinds of things where I'm like, and even just, and I'm not talking about like, obviously the death watch is like, okay, none of this stuff works anymore, but as a normal human being, how do you trust anyone anymore? Because the Death Watch told you it was okay. The Death Watch also told you that there was no such thing as Tyranids. So, well, and like, I, I think that's another thing that they even tackle that the governor tackles, you know, with um, Chaplain Storm. You know, when she's chastising him for what the Death Watch is doing, and he's like, uh, "They're not our company. Like, you can't judge us." And she's like, "Do you really think people see a difference?" Right. You know, and. And this gets, it happens a lot, like in the conclave meetings that frustrates Lodoran to no end when, and I see it in so many books, like where the, where the space Marines come in and they're helping and the nobility are just like, you just, you know what you just destroyed? You know, it's like, well, um, you're welcome. Um, we kind of stop things from blowing up and they're like, no, like, like that was like priceless. You just can't do that. <sighs> 
And, they're, well, and, they and, start, that, and then they start to wonder, it's like, are you really here to help? And it's like, my God, this is constant actually, battle. I forgot to mention that was my favorite scene in the whole book is when he dresses them down and he's like, we could exterminate us this whole thing. And they're like, yeah, but we're too valuable of a resource. And he's like, A, no. And B, if we kill all organic life, your aura is still here. Right. And I love when she's like, I feel like you should have told us that to begin with. And he's like, I felt like our presence implied it. Like That was a beautiful scene. But you and I have had this question a lot as we've read Warhammer 40K. I think it really bears repeating after reading this book. Do the space Marines really save a planet by saving it? Well, you know, one that I always go back to is, um, I forget the name of the, Parvonus. Or Pavonus. Yes, Pavonus. Mm -hmm. um, because they came in, they saved that planet from Tyranids. If I remember correctly, it was Tyranids and Gene Stillers. And they, they yep. saved that planet. And then, so they came in and they placed one of their higher-ups kind of in charge. They dethroned the governor and um, gave it to somebody else in her family. And were um, just pretty much like, okay, well, peace. <laughs> and just left. We're out. And there's now mass chaos. Because you're talking about like most of, like half of the council was killed and destroyed you've just totally unseated the the governor the one person who was like on all of y'all's sides and um then you're then you've brought in um outsiders to come in and police everything um and have this other guy from the imperium from the ministratum come in and basically mandate everything that that you do and then we wonder why they turn to the towel bing the similarities between this and that book. And I'm so glad you said that because all of those things I'm reading that book, I'm reading this book. And that was the first thing that I thought of too, is I was like, Oh good. The tower is going to sneak up. Well, maybe not after, after the whole greater good in the warp thing. Mm. Anyways, but I had the same thought is that, so they've already established that this, this planet is very important, to, very important to the Imperium. The, the administratum is going to be all over this place. Um, you, they kept their governor, but half their council is dead. Two of their hives are destroyed. Their minds are destroyed, more or less, right? They've lost their Mechanicus guy. Like, how many of the, um, Imperial Guard have they lost? Of their own soldiers have they lost? How many oh, miners have they holy lost? Holy shit. And then again, not to mention, as a common citizen who's really not that well informed, how do you trust anyone again like i would imagine that mass paranoia just descends upon this planet because and even though they're gonna install martial law obviously and have people get back to work and you know focus on these things that's still gonna be in the back of people's minds oh there's right? gonna be an inquisitor or two just lurking right and um i can't never remember which gaunt's ghost book it is but it's the one where the inquisition and the ghosts go back to liberate garyon and gaunt is talking to the inquisitor and he's like so how long how long do you think it'll be we are a blunt instrument i don't know that anyone's ever going to be living on this planet again like because the Inquisition's now being called, which I can't imagine that the Death Watch doesn't get up to their their ship and is like, BT dubs. 
Hmm. Right. Right. So again, I ask again, going back to that, the other earlier example, I mean, you've potentially, okay, you've saved it from the Tyranids a little bit. So great. And you kept some people alive, but have you really saved them? Hmm. I don't know. I, I really felt mixed about this in the end. Well, what it, kind of life do these people have? You know, and it's something that gets brought up like again and again. It was in one of those short stories in um, the Eisenhorn Magos uh, compilation where he's a young and he's an interrogator, I believe. He's a young interrogator. And this accountant, you know, is like, I think I found a yep. one word. And he did. And so they totally destroy everything. And he's like, well, what am I going to do for work? He's like, Mm. sorry not my problem now because there's, there's, there's just no support no a- anywhere and, and again it's and it's other it's another problem with the space marines because they don't they're like why are people so angry at us for you know doing all these things when we're, when we're saving them and it's like well because then there's no support after it's not like you guys right. stay around and help them rebuild right and <laughs> I know it's a bad example because definitely you would think the firefighters are putting your house out, but after they've destroyed the house, like the firefighters are like, no need to thank us. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, there is that kind of, Oh, cause like our neighbors, their house caught fire and they had asbestos in their ceiling. Oh no. So. <laughs> oh. Told them they were like, if your house ever catches fire again, just let it burn. Which don't call the fire department. I was like, huh. But I mean, that's, do you call? And they've, we've actually dealt with that in several stories before, which do you call the Inquisition? Because that's not going to be the horror line, I feel like, is really towing that too. Or they're like, I don't want the Inquisition coming to my house looking for ghosts. I'd rather just live with the ghosts. <laughs> that's, you know, <laughs> you know, as long as they keep to themselves, you know, like, right. it's, it's, it's all cool. It's cool. Right, I'm just going to pretend I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, but I I love. There's a I think I've mentioned it before, but there's a brilliant scene in the Brothers of the Snake book by Dan Abnett where this girl shoots a Space Marine because he's not listening to her, and then the Inquisitor shows his rosette and she runs away screaming, and the Space Marine's like, "There's the real power." <laughs> People are so scared of the Inquisition, and guess what? They're coming to this planet. Right? Whether you Dire. they didn't say it, but they're coming. They're coming. You can't have the gene stealers there and them not be there. Well, and the number of people that were affected by those grubs, the Inquisition is gonna want a word with you. You're not surviving right. this experience. No, it reminds me of the end of Ghostbusters. I was wondering if we could take a small sample of your brain. Sure. <laughs> gonna be like that. that yeah, yeah. we're gonna need yeah. to see a sample of your brain after the grubs yeah i and i don't so actually you know one thing that we had not talked about yet because we've been talking a lot about the exterminators there's a very weird scene in this book that i really want to discuss haster champion haster goes a charging off into a hive after he's been told not to so he's been denied support and was technically denied the operation and he keeps going because clearly this is the only way to do it and we're going to talk more about this in a second but it's a fourth option of exterminatus 
well, I guess do nothing and fight for the people. The other is just go in and smash everything. <laughs> Hastur and Redfang would have gotten along swimmingly. Well, you know, it's just like he kind of took the uh, Lego game method to everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's played well, a few video he, games. Um, you know, he was kind of, he was bitter about right. um, the Doran uh, taking over. And so he wanted to prove that, you know, he's like, you're being too cautious. So let me just show you why you shouldn't be so cautious. And whoops. It Whoopsie. actually kind of reminded me a lot of what happens in um, Reboot's Primark novel. <clears throat> yes. Yes, actually. Mm-hmm. Yes. That the brash guy who knows how to take care of this, thank you very much. Who is going goes up against off. the new leader. And yeah. Yeah. And the and same thing happened in. to him. More or less. Yeah. They go into this hive and they realize it was an elaborate ruse. And the whole thing blows sky high. The fact that he survived it all strange to me. I was surprised. But I think, was really surprised. And then he survived the last part too, because it talked about how he's going to be the new, new dreadnought. Going to be a dreadnought, which I am petty. I'm going to admit that right now. This is so petty of me, but I'm like the dude got mostly blown up because he didn't listen to orders, defied his commander, and marched into a clear and mm-hmm. obvious trap himself in the end, but that gets him a dreadnought cast chassis? Weird what? flex, but okay. I mean, if he's gonna sm- be smashing things. To be fair. And most of the dreadnoughts have run out of any fucks to give. <laughs> That's like the best part about the dreadnoughts. Oh my god, it's the best part of them. So I can't wait to see grumpy, grumpy, cocky Haster in a dreadnought. <laughs> that was the only part of the book that I was like, I don't really care about anything that happens after this book, except for Ch- for dreadnought Haster. I would like to see that. But did it surprise you at all that like nobody really says anything about it there's no censure there's no like what the hell was he thinking they're just like oh he survived oh thank god yeah and yet no because they had a lot going on to be fair (laughs) it's a little busy yeah because they didn't even make a big fanfare that he was still alive, either. Right, they were just like, oh, he's in stasis. Oh, cool. Right. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, he does, when he gets up, that whole, yeah, he was fighting like a badass. I would expect nothing less. For a guy who had really no idea where he was. Right. <laughs> what happened to him? As he's looking down at his mechanical parts, he's like, what the, what the world? <laughs> What happened to me? <laughs> it just, it reminds me, and I know this has become a huge meme, but the Grand Theft Auto, oh shit, here we go again. <laughs> like he wakes up, there's a gene stealer on top of the, uh, right. the, yeah, the doctor guy. I cannot think of the name for them right now. Oh my God, it's totally left me. It's not a chaplain. The apothecary? Come back to Apothecary, thank you. Um, he sees the gene stealer on top of him and he's just like, oh, 
All right, here we go. It doesn't matter what's going on or where I am. I got to kill Jean. Okay, so now that was a Shroud of Night comical scene. Because it was actually because like this, he sees like the apothecary come in, but the he goes about talk about the Narthekium, and then he's like, and then a bone saw is like swinging around. He's like trying to figure out, wait, what, what, what is that? Yeah, when the oh my god, when the North when the Narthekium when he stabs him with all the needles, and he's like, you'll thank me later, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> it seems so unsanitary. It's just like, my Narthesium has been, like, in you. Uh, and then you, and then I loved that scene. So, so it was, that, that was Shroud of Nighty to me. Yeah. So one of my favorite episodes of season one Flash, the CW mm-hmm. Flash, was when Mark Hamill reprises his role as Trickster. Yes. And there's this lovely scene where he's like, you know, taken over this party. And then the Flash comes in because he's poisoned everybody. And then the Flash comes in and immediately gives like injections to everybody in the room and saves them. And Mark Campbell's looking out and he's like, well, that's not sanitary. <laughs> Just like of all the things. So that made me think of that when you said that. He's not wrong. No. <laughs> yes, I had a <laughs> That was it was just funny though but so another one of the big themes of this book other than exterminatus versus no exterminatus um is the difference between the way that the nobility looks at the people the space marines the gene stealers um and and the space marines are even divided right mm-hmm. like and that's a constant thing throughout like they respect the governor but it's amazing to me throughout the book how different everybody's mentality is, which I think also feeds into the whole exterminatus thing, right? Right. Well, there's, well, it's like I, I even said at the beginning when you, you said what stood out, and it's like, well, it's, it's really like how they're seeing the people. Uh, you right. know, some of them they just see as these random cogs in the machine, mm-hmm. and some of them, and even the nobility will think of them that way as well because that's what keeps them with the nobility and then you have some of the nobility that does care there's a few of them that really did care and then you have some space marines that do care there's mm-hmm. far and few between of them but uh like uh Torgan was not one of them <laughs> um and their haster was not one of them uh but Ladoran was and Storn was um, like probably one of the scenes Storm that I, I felt kind of he one of the things that really got me was Storm was you know how was his death and it wasn't it was just awful how he died but you know oh, horrible and but it was kind of funny when he's like I don't know how to stop this but surely if I hit it really hard <laughs> that right. I can't make it worse right but before that when he's looking back at the um the arbitrator who came with him who was a badass mm-hmm. those are the people and he sees them basically you know melting and he's just like oh my god i led them to this yes like oh so it was that was that whole scene was just heartbreaking it's like man Storm, you're like one of the few i liked in this so that's why you died yes pretty much Kind of like Torgan. Like, reason why reason why Torgan died is because like he was 
making jokes at the conclave meeting. That was like the best part of the book when he's there trying not to smirk. <laughs> right. Yeah. That made me sad. <laughs> It has been a running theme for us, especially with the Space Marine books. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, I really like this character. And he's dead. Kilt. Um, well, the reason I mention it. <laughs> it makes me wonder if they're sitting there going, what would George R. R. Martin do? <laughs> well, on one hand, I mean, I. so it always makes me think of it. I know that a lot of people made fun of the Warhammer adventure books because the beginning, the intro plate, says that in the grim you know in the world of war the world of warhammer 40k life is hard and i people made fun of that but i actually think like the world of warhammer 40k is hard <laughs> like life i think it's like life in the 41st millennium is hard or something like that and yeah life is hard and short and brief and well, awful you know that's you don't want kids reading anything else besides that you don't want them reading the whole well and mantra at true the beginning. no for sure true but i actually love it because i'm like that pretty much sums up all the books and i think about it every time one of my favorite characters dies I'm like life in the 41st millennium is hard because <laughs> it is and yeah, these people are not, the Space Marines are not built to grow old and retire. They're built to fight until they go out in glorious battle, which I think that's the only thing I get really sad when they die ignobly. I'm looking directly at my copy of War of Secrets. <laughs> Still haven't forgiven Phil Kelly for that. Um, oh, Phil, poor Phil Kelly. I know, like, every time I'm going to read a book from him now, I'm like, that one time? <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> so one of the reasons that I bring this up is that you see this, so there's, like, one of the things I went back and forth on is that the gene stealers, of course, no, no, father wants you to be happy. Father just, he means so much to him and blah, 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 blah. They're basically lulling the cattle into a false sense of complacency so that they can then eat them, right? So, that's a dishonest i mean at least the space marines are honest and they're disdain for people that's true when disdain's not the right word but they do look at them as like you are a resource as you yes. said like the cough <laughs> you're the cogs that make the mm -hmm. yeah so let me ask this then the goal of the cultists is to ascend to the star children, which of course, even they seem to know means to die, but they seem to think of it like, kind of like Christians think of death, like, you know, you'll ascend to heaven and live with God, which I guess is a way to look at it. I um, wasn't sure they fully understood what it meant or... So I wondered that too because like remember there was the scene where the guy gets killed and they're like it's okay he has ascended to be with father and everyone's like oh yes he has so i couldn't tell if maybe some of them understood that that was death or if some of them were just like no no no, we're just gonna go live in paradise with father here eventually do you think the tyranids would be like the gene stealers would be half as successful without their psychic manipula manipulation 
Well, I guess it depends on how much of the psychic manipulation is what builds that beacon to bring the Tyranids there. Um, but I mean, do you think their PR campaign, do you think as many people would be willing to go and fall in line with the gene stealers if they knew, like, hey, we're just going to get eaten this biomass? Well, no. That's all it is. <laughs> you know, I go back and forth and then I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Do you die toiling for the Imperium? Do you die in a mine somewhere do you die because the space marines decided that your planet had somebody like somebody drew a symbol on the wall so now we got exterminate us the whole planet somebody drew a symbol <laughs> or, or you know do you die living happy little cult life for like a month where you're all just doing whatever you want to do for a couple months until the is it happy Jared cult life though is it i don't know so okay here's my other question so i know I know in theory what the gene stealers, their whole pro, the whole thing is to dismantle all the government and the military and everything, right? And basically have everybody, again, be more like cattle. So there's no resistance when the Tyranids come and there's that beacon luring them in. But what is the cult's like end game there? Like, okay, we've overthrown the government, we've overthrown the military, and now we just wait. I guess I'm just saying that somebody needs to keep the trains moving and the water running and stuff. So I have a feeling that the actual ascension, when that happens, because it's not saying it was going to happen soon, is that's when the Tyranids are there. So, because they even kept saying, like, they're on their way. They're like, right. Phew. So that's the only thing I can think of. Because even, like, mm -hmm. you know, if. So everything's unstable, and then they're like, okay, well, now what? You know, I thought this was going to lead to the ascension. Right. I guess that would be awkward. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, like, what if it just takes the Tyranids a little bit longer? Like, they took a left at Albuquerque, and now you're just hanging out. Somehow, I just have this feeling that the patriarch of the gene stealers has like some sort of connection to where they are because this takes like decades to get right. this process going to get this many followers um so it just takes time and they know it and they have time on their side and, and they true. don't and they don't come out you know to attract the attention of the space marines or the inquisition or anything until it's time for the ascension so mm -hmm. That is true. I will say, you can add the Tyranids and the Gene Stealers to the list of people I'm too vain to join. <laughs> the whole like bulbous heads and eyes thing. I was like, no. The third well, arm not would only be cool. that, but you know, you're gonna get eaten. You're gonna get eaten, and that's the thing too. Is like everybody seemed to think that they were gonna get to ascend and like hang out with the Tyranids. Like, I guess maybe be part. Of the hive mind i don't like, think they knew what the tyranids were i mean they just kept talking about the star children they had no idea what was coming down right they were using the nice euphemism <laughs> it's the star children they're giant bugs can i just say that whenever something gets called children it's just instantly creepy yes like i'm thinking of robert jordan his kind of evil faction the children of the light 
that yeah. came and just, you know, killed people with magic and um, the emperor's children <laughs> and now the star children. Children of the corn. Okay. That's a little, little on the nose, but yes. <laughs> Actually, that appears. That appears in that Brothers of the Snake book. They drop on this planet and it's an agricultural world where they grow something that looks like corn. And they're making these effigies to corn out of corn husks. And the, the Inquisitor is like, children, of the, they're calling themselves children of the corn. Eh? And the space marines are just like, poker face. And he's like, uh, pearls before swine. <laughs> Man, an Inquisitor, that's funny. Oh, I'm telling you, that book is amazing because that Inquisitor is amazing. The whole thing is awesome. But yeah, there's an actual Children of the Corn. But yeah, having grown up in the 80s, like during the whole, like, children's just not a good la label for you. We're the children of something. Great. Yeah, it's, yeah, no. I don't think I've ever seen it used in a good way either, now that I think about it. I'm sure there's an example but maybe for actual children uh, maybe yeah but uh um, yeah. but we get adults banding together and calling themselves children of something yeah it's not it's no. not good no no i'm not a fan of it i uh i'm just not a fan of the gene stealers in general because <laughs> again like you guys are they're like the Eve, okay, bear with me here. Mm. Um, it's not heresy, I promise. They're like the evil version of the Tao. Like, we're going to mentally manipulate you into listening to, listening to us and believing that we love you and care about you, but we're just going to eat you. The <laughs> Tao are like, we'll just put you to work. <laughs> You're just going to be our slaves. Pretty much. Which yeah. I guess, you know, if I had to choose. Oh. Carrie, we don't use the S word. Oh. I'm sorry. The prisoners without jobs. Prisoners with jobs. Prisoners with jobs. That's right. Prisoners with jobs. I don't know if that's any better. <laughs> Love that scene. I guess if I had to choose, I would choose to be a prisoner with a job than be dinnered. <laughs> hamburger helper. Well, yeah, yeah I, mean, when I they guess get done with the stabity stabity, you would be hamburger helper. Oh, they're so gross. Actually, the whole, the father, the fight with father was pretty impressive and fun because they are a nasty bunch. Right. And they talk about the pools of oil. And I was like, what is that? And she, and it wasn't until, you know, Jai was talking about ending it all. And she's like, all she had to do is go in the pools because that's digestive fluid. I'm like, oh, oh God, that's just all kinds of nasty. By the way. Did you care that Phoenicia Jai gets her end in the gets her just rewards? No. I didn't really either. The epilogue was weird. The epilogue was really strange. And the fact that it was written kind of like in this detached, like Actually how I heard it was it remind me of like a movie where at the end and they freeze frame people and it shows like what happened to them later. You know what I'm saying? Right, but the fact that it was written like in like beyond third person, so like an example would be um, uh, let's see uh, another aircraft soars towards the sky, its prow aimed toward the darkling void. 
Uh, within its hold lies a cha champion amongst angels. He was wounded unto death, yet still he clings to life with a stubborn determination. Ahead lies the cold metal embrace of a dreadnought sarcophagus. They don't mention them by name or anything. It's very, it's almost vague and detached from it, right? But I guess maybe you're right. It's like a title card, but it also is just kind of like, look, this is just another day in the life of guys going to a sarcophagus, girl gets shanked, tyrannids <laughs> go somewhere else. Like, <laughs> life in the 41st millennium is hard, Carrie. Dude, this, I love reading this world. I love how rich it is. I don't want to live there. No. <laughs> Good God, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Gene stealers. I don't have to worry about that kind of shit. Ugh. That's not the gene stealers. It's the orcs or heretics or space marines or inquisitors. You know, there's... <laughs> good guys bad guys in between good and bad guys there's no good and bad guys we don't do that here I'm sorry have you met Alfarius good bad and different he's all the things he's whatever he needs to be at the time nice yes <laughs> Well, we actually have a gift. So before we discuss our next book, we have a giveaway to talk about. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so slap happy and tired, you guys. So we have a giveaway to discuss. Yes. Yeah, so today we're recording this on Saturday instead of Thursday. Um, today was the Black Library celebration. And I went out to the Citadel and Grapevine Um it was really funny. The store opens at 11. I got there at 1130 and all the books I wanted were gone. <laughs> the guy told me that there was a lot. I can't line. believe they sold out that quickly. Yeah. So I took the last pin set. Like I saw, I was like, mine. Like, so I got the very last pin set. And um, it's funny because the manager knows me by now. And he's like, hey, so what are you looking for? And I was like, I think you're sold out. It's like, like what? I said, I'm looking for the lion. <sighs> Yeah, those went first. And he said, anything else? Like, Watchers of the Throne. Yeah, those are gone too. He's like, anything else? And um, I think I've called out something else, Cameron, right now. And he's like, yeah, that's gone too. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, no, no, it's fine. He's like, he's like, but if you want, you can order it because they actually have these touchscreen computers there. So you can order things there and it'll be delivered directly to the store. And I was like, oh, no, I just ordered everything off my phone. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Like, I'm good. But I did get a couple of things. Like I said, I got that pen set. And I got this really cool mug that I've been drinking from. It's cold now, but when it's hot, it changes colors. And so because of that, because we bought some things, they give away, when you buy at the Black Library Celebration, um, a little anthology. Ooh. It's called Black Library Celebration. It's kind of like a fun little collector's item. It's always free. And there's various short stories in here that are not published anywhere else. So, I guess because they knew me or because it was me and my kids, he decided to give me a bunch. I have two extra. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, no, this is not, you know, a huge deal. But, you know, you got, so you got a Warhammer, you got one Warhammer 40k, a Necromunda, two Ages Sigmar, Horus Heresy, and a Warhammer horror story by david annandale that should be good 
Horror and Necromunda, sign me up. Well, I mean, in the Horus Heresies by ADB. So that should be good as well. I'm sorry, Warhammer 40k person, I don't recognize your name. I'm a terrible person. But it's about the Adeptus Sorotor, so that could be good. Is it Darius Hinks? No. I know who Darius Hinks is. Oh, because he's been writing a lot of sororitist stuff lately. No, it's Danny or Danny Ware. Oh, he that doesn't that person have I think there's a series from that. I I, I have no idea. Person this up. I know I've seen this somewhere. Okay. Well maybe. So anyway, I have two to the give away. Sororitists are so hot right now. They are very hot right now. We they had their models like everywhere. Did they? They did. So many of those models and um, a lot of a lot of their big ones, too. You know, they have all the Primarchs that are available. They have th them out and uh, anything like the really big ships and things like that. And Gabe, my son, went over and started playing with, they have this um, kind of model area where it's like there's a train there and I always joke that it's the heresy train and every time I see it I walk by I was telling a friend of mine Drew who was there with me I was like oh look the heresy train it has no brakes and he's like like he's like you have problems I'm like no <laughs> I think in memes okay I'm sorry anyway so these, these two extra copies and I'm going to give them away to two listeners readers whatever on the site the only thing, there's two things we ask you to do to get one of these copies. One, you have to be in the U.S. I'm really, really sorry about that, but that's just, them. them's the breaks. Two, how to win one is that I'm going to ask you all to go to our page on either um, Apple Podcasts or go to Stitcher or go to Spotify and leave us a review. And then either email us at wh40kbookclub at gmail or uh, send a tweet to us at WH40K Book Club. Let us know where you where you left left the review, so I can you know go verify, and then we'll set you up with one of these. That's, I mean, this is going to take two minutes of your time, max. Hot damn! Right, for a nice little free collector's item book with one, two, three, four, five, six stories in it. Not, not a bad deal. You don't have to pay for shipping. I'm going to do all that. So that's, that's our little giveaway. Awesome. And it's not because I'm... I bought two copies of something. They actually forced copies on me. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about that. <laughs> awesome. Our first giveaway that we didn't buy an extra copy for. Yeah. Because we have problems. Um, actually, so our next book is, I'm so excited for this book. Uh, Baltatera, The Hollow Mountain. I forgot that I had purchased this digitally. Hmm. I can't give anybody that digital copy, and I actually prefer paper copies over digital copies anyways, but I had that same thought as I was like, oh, I pulled a carry. I don't know. I don't consider if you get digital or something, because sometimes you might just want it anyway, in case you're out, you're out and about and you just don't have your book with you. That's true. Um, but mostly I like it because I love this cover art. Cover art is pretty nice. Even though it's really... Mostly because Spinoza's there. It is cool that Spinoza is there, but I can't stop looking at the background and just how, like, bleak and desolate Tara is. And overwhelming. Just tall. 
Yes. When they talk about like how tall it is that that the uh, the buildings are so tall that you can't see the sky and stuff. Well, it's also you can't see the sky because of the pollution. Well, there's also that, but I mean, like you can't even see the polluted sky. This kind of I thought I felt like this was a nice drive home of like this place is crowded. Um, yeah, so we're both I think really excited to read this one. Mm-hmm. We really liked the last one a lot. So time to get back into some. Even though they're making a 40k crime series, I feel like. And this is pretty and I feel comfortable saying there will be no gene stealers in this one. Oh, don't say that. I mean it's on Terra, so I don't the think there are show up on Terra. Oh god, do you know how awful that would be if gene stealers were on Terra? I mean, we're talking about oh, the apocalypse. My god. Oh my god. Maybe that's but, what gets uh, the like, Emperor up off his throne. He's the patriarch. Mm, the tyrannid invasion. <laughs> I do love that that would be what woke him up. And he's just like, oh, God, not this. It's like, man, you guys can't deal with space bugs. All right, I'm getting up. <laughs> Speaking of that, if you've never seen the Brava Alphabasa's uh, text-to-speech, uh, one with the tyrannids, it's hilarious when he's like, why don't you just build a giant can of bug spray? <laughs> Pretty much. Anyways, want to take us out, Carrie? I will, but you guys should should watch some of those videos of the emperors if the emperor had text to speech, because many of them are rather amazing. And there's actually little other little clips that happen in them too that just give like extra uh, meme fodder, like um, the Iron Warrior demanding to be taken seriously. Or if you ever wanted to know how I Cato Sicarius came about, well, there you go. <laughs> You smell of dirt and entitlement. <laughs> I am very bitter and you were the reason. <laughs> my favorite video. Oh my god. My kids actually asked to, to watch that one because they just love the fortify siege, fortify siege. <laughs> Constantly back and forth. So, Alright, so anyway, you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club re- episode regarding Fist of the Imperium by Andy Clark. Be sure to join us for our next book, Vaults of Terra, Hollow Mountain by Chris Raitt. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. Good night.
Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.